Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist Church in North Charleston, South Carolina. Hey, if you're listening today, I know exactly what you need. You need hope and encouragement. And my prayer is that the message you are about to hear will help you find hope and encouragement in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more about our church, visit our website, northwoodbaptist.com, or follow us on Facebook. Now, get ready for a message that will help you connect faith to life. Thank you for coming to CSU Day. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about right there. Thank you for coming to CSU Day. In an hour and ten minutes, you'll be doing homework again, so enjoy this. (laughs) I want to thank you, first of all, Northwood Baptist, for doing what you do in support of Charleston Southern. Uh, Yes, today is a special Charleston Southern University Day, but uh, what I know to be true is that here at Northwood Baptist, every day is a Charleston Southern Day. And one of the reasons that, uh, there were two, one of the reasons that Vicki and I joined uh, this church uh, is we were looking for something, you know, in our orbit, uh, you know, that, that was going to impact our community. You do that uh, very, very well. And you do it in a way that includes Charleston Southern. Uh, and, and in fact, as, as local churches go, I haven't yet found anyone who does it better, with the possible exception of the church that meets right on campus, led by the campus pastor. Okay, so we'll, we'll give them a break. But nobody does what you do. And for that, we are extremely grateful. In fact, on move-in day, uh, you had a whole team of people who, uh, who, who were there. You had, you had a tent, you had pizzas, you had a golf cart. In fact, you had a guy who went to my high school, Randy Jackson, <laughs> same high school. Uh, Randy Jackson drove, I'm told, the, the Northwood golf cart from Northwood Baptist to the campus. Yeah, I, I understand Laney High School people, and that makes perfect sense to me. I know it doesn't make any sense to you, but thank you. Uh, Jenny and Asher are out there doing what they do so well, just loving on people, um, six feet from them, wearing masks, all of that for sure, but uh, thank you, Northwood Baptist. The second reason we joined Northwood Baptist had uh, everything to do with uh, your pastor and his family. Because we kept coming back every week, and, and, and what uh, Pastor Metter does, as you know so well, he comes up here every, every Sunday, he opens the Bible, he explains what the Bible says, and then he tells us what we ought to do because of what the Bible says. That's what a preacher ought to do. And we're so grateful to you, uh, Pastor Metter and family. So you will imagine the thrill that I experienced when I discovered that, that, that Pastor Matter was also an adjunct faculty member at Charleston Southern. And not only does he come and teach just random things, he teaches preaching. I was like, well, okay, we did something right. That's what I'm talking about. So thank you. This semester, he's teaching Old Testament. And the thing that I will tell you about Charleston Southern, if you don't already know, is that Charleston Southern is a Christian university, decidedly Christian, unapologetically Christian, thoroughly Christian, comprehensively Christian. But it's not a university just for Christians. 
faculty and staff and coaches and all, yeah, they're all Christians. On the same journey you're on, by the way. But they're all believers. But not every student who comes to Charleston Southern is a Christian when they get there. And that's the point. The point is that they would come to Charleston Southern. I'm surprised every semester um, at the number of students who say, um, why do I have to take Old Testament? Why do I have to take New Testament? Why, why is this a requirement? Um, and, and much to, much to, to, to my surprise, um, because we don't try to hide the fact that we're thoroughly Christian in our advertising, some people just show up. Glad you're here. And then they go into these required courses. Maybe it's biology, maybe it's chemistry, maybe it's math, maybe it's Old Testament. And it's a requirement. And in this Old Testament class, they hear the gospel. They come to class going, uh, okay, I had to, had to get this, this book that, that I paid for and it was one of the cheapest ones I've got. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> but, but which part is old and which part is new? And so it's in this context that uh, people like Tommy Metter, brand new professors here, I saw him today, Ron Harvell, he's here teaching New Testament this semester. And they have the privilege, the obligation, the responsibility, the calling to teach these young men and women the gospel by way of the Bible. And so when Pastor Metter says that we have a partnership in the gospel with you, that's exactly right. You and every other church, like-minded church, Southern Baptist or not, willing to join us in prayer and support of faculty, staff, administrators, coaches, students, and their parents, some of whom hear the gospel for the first time because of their association with Charleston Southern. Can you imagine um, a a university where where God does, in in many cases, the roommate assignments uh, and a a saved uh, girl from North Charleston gets uh, roommated, if that's a word, roommated with with a, a, a lost girl from Irmo? And somehow in the process of that semester, um, the little, uh, the the lost girl from Irmo, uh, here's the testimony of the saved girl from North Charleston, and she understands for the very first time that she's a sinner in need of a savior. And, And you say, why do we, why is there a need for a Christian university right here in the Bible Belt? That's why. Because of the gospel. You know, I, I, I really appreciate the symbolism that we now have that, that we would never have imagined. If I, had told you, if I had told you six months ago, which would have been the end of February, if I had said to you, you're never going to believe this, people. I mean, I mean you're never going to believe this. But six months from now, and in, in those six months in between, um, we, we are going to be wearing masks everywhere we go. And we're going to have to stay six feet apart from people. Um, And every business is going to be on the verge of closing. And churches are going to be quite uh, not knowing what to do for a long period of time. Um, And oh, by the way, if I told you this in February, um, in April, for several weeks on end, we're going to set up a stage outside and you're going to drive up and go to church in your car 
and the pastor's going to be on the stage uh, preaching to you through the radio station, you would have said, you've got to be kidding. I wish I were. But here we are. But one of the most uh, uh, incredible symbols of this whole thing is we all wear these physical masks. And I wear them religiously. For all kinds of reasons. Not the least of which is to get everybody else to wear them. Friends. But imagine the symbolism of you walking into this church wearing a physical mask because it's a picture of the mask that all of us wear every time we come into this church or any other church in America or the world. Because we walk into church unwisely, I would suggest to you. We walk into church thinking to ourselves, you know, my main job today is to make everybody else think that I got it all together. They don't know what's happening at home. They don't know what's happening at work. But I'm really good for about an hour in a church service and about an hour in a small group to make those people think that I am a really good Christian. And the point of the Bible is to say to you and say to me, you don't have to wear that mask. In fact, of all the places where you might feel led to wear a mask, this is not it. Because all of us come here um, in a lost state at some point. All of us come here, even if you have um, understood the gospel and understood that, understand that you're a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation because he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to Christ except through me. Nobody has eternal life except through Jesus Christ. He comes to you and and he says, you don't have to pretend any longer because I love you just the way you are. And while you might be fooling those in your small group, you're not fooling me. And I have deputized those in your small group, by the way. Um, they're my deputies. They're my, they're my Barney Fifes. Um, they're, they're the ones there uh, trying to speak to you a word that says, uh, you don't have to pretend any longer. I love you just the way you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. Um, I wish I could get that into your head and into your heart. That's what this is all about. On August 21st, which is my birthday, I celebrate all month. You have one shopping day left. (laughs) You're laughing, I'm not. (laughs) In the Wall Street Journal, August 21st, this year, an article was published about a 93-year-old Baptist preacher in Durham, North Carolina, whose name is Jack Eccles. Jack Eccles has been married to his wife, Jerry, for 70 years. And on March the 12th, when he showed up to Hillcrest Convalescent Center to see his wife uh, in the same way he had been every other day since 2015, 
because his wife in 2015 was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He showed up uh, to, 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 to love on her in physical ways by feeding her and holding her head right and, and, and giving her some semblance of normalcy in a world gone mad. He showed up and at the door, the Hillcrest Convalescent, Convalescent Center staff said, sorry, uh, pastor, you can't come in today. And in fact, I have no idea when you're going to be able to come in because this virus has thrown us all for a loop. And as you know, Pastor, uh, the most vulnerable populations of all are in these nursing homes. This pastor who'd been married to this wife for 70 years said, I ain't having that. The next day he shows up with his briefcase, his computer, Yes, 93-year-old with a computer because he's still preaching sermons. Some books and great determination. And on that day, he moved into Hillcrest Convalescent Center. They rented him a private room. And the only areas he can access are his wife's room and the lobby so he can see other relatives out through the window. And when asked, Jack, why in the world did you do that? He said, because for 70 years, she has taken care of me. Now it's my turn. And so every day he goes to her room and he feeds her. And he comforts her. And she's gotten to the point now where she, she doesn't know who he is. But what the, the, the nurses say in the convalescent center is that there's something about his presence in this world gone mad. Because you know that those with Alzheimer's have this sense of abandonment. And, and, and if they have this sense of abandonment when everything else in the world has gone crazy, that, uh, that's the one thing that they need to overcome. And his presence there somehow does that. And that's what God does for you and for me. In a world full of a pandemic with all kinds of uncertainties uh, and, and, and all kinds of unanswered questions and when will this end, uh, I have no idea. I wish I could stand here and say to you today that I am a prophet and that I know when it's going to end, but I, I can't do that and neither can you. But what I, uh, what, what I know will never end is that God through Jesus Christ has checked in to the convalescent center that you call home. And any sense of abandonment you may have or you, you may be about to have or you might have had uh, can be wiped away because Jesus Christ is there. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And there he is, holding my head, feeding me what I need to know, knowing that I am not alone, even though it feels like it. You know, I, I did a whole lot of... Uh, traveling in the military and uh, the, the thing I learned about traveling in the military is um, when you get away from home people don't care that much about you 
And so I, you know, lived in England a couple of years. We lived in, we lived in Germany for a couple of years. I lived in Qatar for a year and traveled to all probably 40 or 50 other countries as part of my job. Um, and every time I got to a new customs and border patrol place, um, these people just wouldn't let me roam, stroll in like I was somebody. They asked me a series of questions and it happened without fail every place I went. Who are you? And so I'd take my blue passport. I'm proud of that blue passport. Um, I'd take that blue passport out and, and although I'd try to keep it inside, I want to say, I'm an American. Boom. <laughs> take that. He didn't care. He didn't care that I was an American. I'm an American. Here are my papers. This is my picture. It was a bad day, I know. This is my picture. This is my nationality. And then he says, where are you coming from? Next question, where are you going? Fourth question, what are you going to be doing while you're here? Most important question, when are you leaving? You see, it's a perfect picture of who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a perfect picture because what the picture says of us is that we are, the Bible says this very clearly, we are aliens and strangers on the earth. We are not citizens of this place. And so we should not like live like those who think they are citizens of this place. We should live like those um, who know they are citizens of heaven. But those same questions while we're roaming on this earth have to be answered. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? What are you going to be doing while you're here? And when are you leaving? Well, we're going to look at uh, three of those questions today. Associated with these three questions will be three truths. And these truths are, are, are critical truths for you and for me today. Because it's like the, you know, the best news I could ever give a Charleston Southern student is that uh, the, 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 the final exam that you're going to have and every other exam in between is open book. Yes. You take the notes you get from Tommy Metter, you can bring all them in too. You want to bring some uh, commentaries from some, some people from, from days gone by, you can bring them too. Uh, but mostly, you bring your Bible. And, and you bring your Bible, and, and that's the kind of open book test you have because that's the way life is. Life is an open book test. You will pass it if you open the book. You will not pass it if you keep it closed. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, verses 3 to 14. Here's the open book test. Three questions, three truths. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. The gospel that has come to you. 
all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Now, in just those few verses, I mean, we, we don't need to read any more than that. Because in just those verses, we have faith, hope, love, heaven, grace, understanding, hallelujah. That's what we have here today. Verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Look up here just for a second. Now, you, you, you probably know some things about this book. You probably know that Epaphras' name is mentioned for a very good reason. Because this church exists today or then because of Epaphras. Now, Epaphras was the little boy who, who was, um, in my mind, not very well behaved. Um, he's the guy who might have joined a gang somewhere along the way, perhaps. Uh, he might have gone to vacation Bible school. He may, he may not have gone to vacation Bible school, but he lived in a city that, frankly, was a whole lot like North Charleston. He lived in a city where there was some faith to be had, but there was a whole lot more in the secular culture surrounding it that said that that faith was not good and that faith was not good enough. He lived in a culture that, was, that, 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 that would uh, have everyone believe that uh, there was no such thing as a sufficient Christ or sufficient scripture uh, to, 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 to have people get to heaven. In fa- uh, instead, there was a sense that legalism, and mysticism were the order of the day. In other words, there were rules you had to follow them. Follow If you followed them well, you'd be saved. Uh, and there was also this extra spiritual secret out in the universe that if for those chosen few who could connect to that spiritual secret, if you could do that, then you had a chance to, to, to know what they would call as God. But the church of Jesus Christ that met in Colossae was adamantly opposed to that because the fact is uh, scripture is sufficient and Jesus Christ is sufficient and you don't need anything else. There is no secret. There's no special club. God has given you an open book test and all you have to do is understand that you're a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ is the only one qualified to be your savior. If you accept him as your savior, um, he takes your sins and he gives you his righteousness and you do in fact live happily ever after. It's the greatest story ever told for a reason. Well, Epaphras was a guy um, who went from Colossae as a lost person and made it to uh, Ephesus where he uh, attended a revival service by the Apostle Paul. And somewhere in that revival service, Epaphras understood the gospel. He understood that he was lost and now is saved. Now, I know saved is an old, old school word. But I'm going to tell you something. Johnny Hunt, who's going to be here next week, is also from the hometown of Randy Jackson and Dondi Coston. Um, and he is going to use the word saved. And he is going to say you can be saved from the life you're living and saved to a life with God. Now that's exciting. Let me keep reading. Verse 9, for this reason, since, we, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's my homework assignment for you. 
I'm going to ask you between now and the day before Thanksgiving. You, you, you ask, what can we do for Charleston Southern? You can pray for us. And I'm going to ask you to, to, to take a, a three by five index card or a bigger one if you need to because of your eye doctor says you need one. And a Sharpie, and I want you to write the words of verse 9 on that to card, and I want you to put it in your Bible. And I want you to write these words verbatim. I'm going to add a parenthetical or two. For this reason, all that love of God stuff, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, Charleston Southern, we have not stopped praying for you, Charleston Southern, and, uh, and asking God to fill you, Charleston Southern, with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's your homework. And while we have always needed that prayer to come out of your lips and your heart to the throne of grace, we have never needed it more because of what's happening in the physical realm today. Verse 10 is the key to this whole paragraph. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. There's your open book test. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Did you get that last part? Did you notice that everything about your salvation has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him? Those outside of the walls of this church who don't yet understand the gospel don't believe that statement because they believe that they can somehow have enough good works in their life to overcome any bad works they've done. And that's just utter falsehood. So here's the three questions and the three truths from this passage. First question, why am I here? Here's the truth. God alone is the reason for your existence. He made you to be in a love relationship with him. God alone is the reason for your existence and he made you to be in a love relationship with him. I want that just to settle in just for a second. The God of heaven who didn't need you ever for anything he, he, he was not, there was nothing missing in God in which he said, wow, if I could just make, um, you know, if, if, if I could just make a, a humanity to love me, then I would be complete. No. He didn't need us. But he made us so that we could experience the joy of being in a relationship, a personal relationship with the creator and sustainer of the universe. And I'm going to tell you something. If that doesn't blow your mind, you need to fall to your knees and ask God to make that truth come alive in you. 
because God has made you to be in a love relationship with him. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says this, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created from my glory, whom I formed and made. He is the caller and he is the carrier. That's who God is. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I love the little statement that I think I first heard Max Licato say years ago, um, and I've never gotten over it. And what what he says in so many words is that God is your father and he loves you so much that he has a picture of you on his refrigerator. (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. He loves you because he has the capacity to love you like nobody else. Why am I here? To love and be loved by God. Second question, second truth. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Here's the truth. God alone is the basis of your significance. He made you to be in an eternal relationship with him. God alone is the basis of your significance. He made you to be in an eternal relationship with him. You ever have self-esteem issues or wonder if um, you have a purpose or meaning in life? God says you absolutely do. And the significance you have is all Jesus. And it's all us understanding that he has given us this grace and mercy and we just have to come up underneath the umbrella of his love. That's what this life is all about. Bertrand Russell, the great atheist, I say great, meaning vocal atheist, no such thing as a great atheist, said this, unless you assume assume the existence of God The question of life's meaning and purpose is irrelevant. So what the atheist is saying is what most people deal with. What is the purpose of life? If there is no God, there is no purpose. Exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, your only purpose is to be worm food eventually. But there is a God. There is a God who loves you and made you and wants the best for you. And whether you're here for uh, 30 years or, or 130 years, the purpose never changes, and that's to serve God with all power and might. You know, the, the world would tell us that life is about, first of all, survival. And then they say life is about success, meaning uh, you don't just endure as a survivalist. You, 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 you're successful in this life because... You collect a lot of things or you're, you have a lot of degrees or, 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 you, or you, people think you're smart or you have a lot of money or you, you have a lot of possessions or, or whatever. 
And God says it doesn't stop with survival or success. The way that you know that you mean something in this life is that you understand that your, your significance is based on a savior. And survival, success, significance is all based on a savior. Psalm 139 verses 14 to 16. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. When I was woven together, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. This is one of my favorite sentences in the Bible. Because it says to me without equivocation that God's love for me has nothing to do with what I do. He loved me with this kind of love even uh, as I was being formed in my mother's womb. I mean, I think that in this state, I can do nothing, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to make myself worthy before God. Before God. What about as, a, as an embryo? All the while, God says, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, I said in the first service, it's been a long time since I've made this connection because it's been a long time since I've worn a uniform. But uh, when, when I used to read this passage, when I was in uniform, I, I would read it this way. Your eyes saw my, I'd add, a, I'd add a letter. Your eyes saw not my unformed body, which he did. Your eyes saw my uniformed body. Your eyes saw me not just when I was unformed. Your eyes saw me today wearing this uniform, trying to do what I needed to do to serve you. Every one of you has a uniform that you wear, especially if you're a a male college kid. You don't wash your clothes enough. (laughs) You wear the same thing over and over and over again. And if Vicky were here today with me, she's at home under the weather, uh, she would say, and what exactly is the difference in a college kid and a college president? Because <laughs> I'd say, well, it's fine. I only wore it for two hours and it's just, you know. She shakes her head and loves me anyway. Third question, third truth. How can I make a difference? Here's the truth. God alone is the source of your purpose. He made you to be in a working relationship with him. A working relationship with him. This is what our pastor tries to tell us every Sunday. There's a lot of work to be done both inside the walls of the church and outside. And all of that work is kingdom work. And God has deputized you to go and do that work. Not just because the work needs to be done, it certainly does, but because he needs you to be working. So that you can understand, as I need to understand, that this life is not about me, it's about serving other people in whatever way God calls us to. And he's not going to call you to serve others in the same way that he calls me. And vice versa. And you know what? That's the point. Verse 10, I said earlier, is the key to this paragraph. 
And this is what God has for you, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of the Lord. How do you do that? Well, the first way to do that is to understand the kind of Lord we're talking about. So let me read verses 15 to 20. And we'll be 90 seconds from being finished. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him, including you. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the Elmer's glue of of the universe. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's the worthy Lord that we have been called to serve in a working relationship. And man, if we could ever get that through our thick skulls and calloused hearts, we would have a life of meaning and purpose and fulfillment. Ephesians 1.11 In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. C.S. Lewis says that there are two kinds of people in this world. There's the kind of person who says, Lord, thy will be done. And then there's the other kind to whom the Lord says, have it your way then. God says to us, if you want to live uh, uh, the kind of life that you were meant to live, understand that the Christian life ain't Burger King. You cannot have it your way. We normally do move-in day on Uh, Five hours of chaos on a Friday. Exciting chaos on a Friday. But because of uh, the pandemic, we had to come up with a different plan. Instead of one massive chaos, chaotic deal on a Friday, we instead had multiple move-ins in cars, two lanes worth, every two hours on Friday, 8, 10, 12, and 2. On Saturday, 8, 10, 12, 2, and 4. On Sunday, 12, 2, and 4. And so Vicky and I were there with others uh, who were making people happy who weren't necessarily all that happy all the time, um, waiting in their car for 30 or 45 minutes to come up to the, up to the line. And, and, and I looked at this thing and Vicky pointed out to me uh, how magical uh, and almost miraculous the system was that got people in. And she said, she said to me, if I didn't know any better, I'd think this system was designed by the drive through people at Chick-fil-A. Good point. The only difference is at Chick-fil-A, they don't say, show me your negative COVID test, buddy. (laughs) 
Well, as we go greeting people along the way, um, John Davis, anybody know John Davis? He's, he's quite a guy, campus pastor. Um, he's going down doing his John Davis thing, you know, wearing his old man hat and wearing his shorts and um, probably had socks up to his, uh, up to his ne- not that there's anything wrong with that. All right, that's fine. That's fine. So he, he, you know, if we go around, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Who are you here to see? Who, who are you here to, to, to move in? Well, th- there was a man. And John Davis, I'm glad it was John Davis. He comes up to the man in the car. He says, you know, roll down your window. He rolls it down. Uh, and he says, as John, only John Davis can say, hey, buddy, you know, all this. Hey, buddy, um, um, what are you doing here? Is your, is your daughter or granddaughter in the car in front of us or the, or the car behind us? And the guy, sitting there, the guy sitting there says, what in the world are you talking about? He says, I'm here to get a COVID test. Because in COVID world, there are only two reasons you get in a line, long line of cars. A COVID test or Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you see, in this life, in this line that you have joined, or perhaps I hope you will join maybe today. Why are you here? It's to be loved by God and to love him back because he first loved us. It's to have a a sense of significance because of that love. And it's to live a life worthy of the Lord who made all that possible. That's the open book test. Amen. Amen.